Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 323 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Wednesday, October 27th, heading into October 28th, and the Atlanta Braves are now tied in the World Series after losing to the Houston Astros in Game 2, and I am joined as often by Scott Coleman to discuss it all. Hello, Scott. Hey, Brad. How you doing, buddy? It's uh, it's not the podcast we were hoping to do, but I think uh, if you would have told any Braves fan 48 hours ago that they were going to split in Houston, I think you take it, and hopefully the series shifts to Atlanta and they're able to get back in their winning ways here soon. Certainly. You, you want to get greedy uh, and win both, but... Uh, given the home field advantage, how, how, whatever, you, whatever you think about home field advantage, it, it matters on some level. And to go in there and, and uh, get a split is, you know, not exactly like fully satisfying, particularly in the order that it was in. But still, uh, big picture to your point, I think they did a pretty good job in getting one of those two games. They never led in game two. Um, we'll dive into all of it as always, but defensively it was like a catastrophe in this game uh, for the Braves um, yeah. in a weird way. They haven't had that kind of meltdown all season really in the, in the field. And uh, I, I noticed this from some, I can't remember who, but the Astros still have not lost back-to-back games of any kind since August 23rd. So hmm. I guess they're wow. just, uh, they don't lose back-to-back games apparently. I, I was hoping that was going to not be a, a stat that continued, but uh, there you go. So, you know, we'll get into this. But there were lots of storylines early, and then uh, I would say less of them later on. Houston ends up scoring first, but even before that, uh, I know Braves fans were very upset uh, immediately because of the strike zone that was in play by Ron Culpa in this game. You know, and, and again, it's as lopsided as this one ended up being. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's at least it was the first thing that was like popping up all over my timeline. Um, and that is that the strike zone was like both enormous and kind of weird in a lot of ways. And it kind of struck right away with a couple of strikeouts. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know what I wrote this down. I guess I'll just say it now. Uh, one of those ump score websites had Ron Culpa as the number 71 out of 74 full-time umpires graded behind the plate this year in terms of accuracy. Uh, that's not what you want in the World Series game. So when combined with that number, I'm not, I'm not telling that that's, that's not gospel by any means. I'm sure they have better numbers in terms of evaluating umpires than baseball actually has. But uh, with my eyes and your eyes and Twitter's eyes and, and, <laughs> and baseball savant and that number coming together, it's like a little bit frustrating that that was uh, happening in this spot. Yeah, it is. And frustrating is the perfect word. And no umpire is perfect. And I guess if you're trying to give Ron Culpa the benefit of the doubt, he was consistent. He was consistently bad and seemed to expand the strike zone, uh, especially for uh, Houston's pitching staff tonight. And I'm sure there were moments where the Braves got a call and those don't stick out as much. But yes, from the from the get-go, Freddie Freeman struck out and he only saw one strike in the zone. Like th- that just can't happen. I know the Automated strike zone is a very, very hot point of debate among baseball fans and probably the league itself. Uh, it brings in that human element. And tonight there were some really tough calls. I know Jock Peterson struck out late in the game and kind of got in, into it with Ron a little bit. And I don't blame him. And it was a strike to Jock that he struck out on. But I think it was just some boiling over and frustrations from a tough night offensively for the team. But yeah, not not a good night at the plate. And you know, anytime I, I believe now the Braves 
this was the 12th postseason game the Braves have played. And according to umpire scorecards, they have been on the wrong side of the home plate umpire in 11 of those 12 games. <laughs> that is crazy. And again, as you said, that it's not a perfect measurement by any means, but to be on the wrong side of a strike zone, 11 out of 12 games is, is crazy and frustrating and just kind of makes you ask what on earth is going on here. Yeah, and again, I don't, I don't want to belabor this too, too much, but it was my first note because it was right out of the gate. Like, there was no, like, delay. It was, like, the like the fifth pitch of the game. People were already mad at the umpire, and that's it wasn't even wrong necessarily. So, uh, you know, they, they did have two base runners in the first inning. That was a squandered opportunity that, you know, they could have used some runs in that spot because in the bottom half, Max Free takes the ball. You know, as we talked about last night a lot with Eric and I, uh, with Charlie Morton out uh, for the series – Max Freed takes on a role that is even more important, and he was not his absolute best in this game. He did kind of find it later on, which we'll talk about, but uh, he got hit pretty good in the first inning. Only one run allowed, but a double to Altuve, a sack fly that was hit pretty pretty swiftly, another sack fly to get the run home. Uh, Bregman kind of smoked one in that spot. And, you know, it felt like it was kind of an escape to be only down one at that point in time. But, uh, you know, we'll get into the second thing in a second. But I guess before we dive in, like, did you, what did you think of Max Free? Because it was kind of a mm. – he didn't – like, the batted ball data was not too ugly for Max, but he wasn't missing bats early on, and the contact was, like, pretty solid against him. And the results, while not all on him because of the defensive stuff and sort of the bad bit luck, I, I have a hard time trying to figure out, like, how good or bad he was in this game. He wasn't good, I can tell you that, but I don't, I don't know how bad he was either. Yeah. It boy, he did settle in nicely as the game progressed, which is an encouraging sign. And he helped save the bullpen. And as you noted, his final line looks better because of that. But he was not sharp, he gave up the leadoff double, and then he did get out of the inning unscathed besides the Altuve run. Um, but both of those balls were hit very well. Adam Duvall made a nice play in the gap to, to catch one. Um, and it was really just kind of reminiscent of the Dodgers series. He wasn't terrible, but he just wasn't the same Max Freed that we saw in the second half of the year. And especially without Charlie Morton, the Braves need Max Freed to be good. He was not great tonight. Um, And I think there's maybe something to build off of that he kind of found his groove a little bit because he looked a little deer in the headlights during that disastrous second inning. Um, But on a night where the Braves could have taken a 2-0 lead in the World Series heading back home to Atlanta. Uh, Freed was not sharp, and we'll dig into that disastrous second inning here in a minute, um, which I would argue some of which was probably his doing and some was not. But again, it was just not a great night for Max. Yeah, and I agree with that characterization of second inning too. Uh, we'll get we'll get there now. The, the top of the, of the second was actually uh, one of the better moments of the night for the Braves. Travis Darnot hits a home run to left field with two outs to tie the game. And uh, I, I kind of rolled my eyes in uh, in approving fashion because Eric and I spent, I don't know, maybe two minutes, not, not a lot of time last night, but we did reference the fact that Darno has kind of been their worst hitter for a while now. And of course he hits the home run to, to tie the game Naturally. in his yeah. first at bat, which I, listen, bring it on. Go ahead, Travis. That's, that's yeah. fine with me. But, um, you know, that was a brief moment of optimism. And then the second inning, which we both just teased, let's just talk about it now. Um, a couple of singles at the outset with uh, Tucker and Guriel and the Guriel one was the one that people were, were mad at because it was a shift beater. Um, they were shifting on him and we'll come back to that at the end, I think. 
but that happens to first and third against Max. Then a total mess of a play. Um, Maldonado, the catcher, has a ground ball single that was one of those seeing eye varieties. He had, actually had a 230 expected batting average to drive in a run. And then you have the defensive mess with Eddie Rosario throwing the ball to no one at third base, um, which scored another run because the ball kicked away, uh, which puts you down four to one. And then Freed has a wild pitch to get the runner to third. Um, actually, they benefited from Altuve not hitting the ball very far, and Maldonado, who's pretty slow, couldn't score. But then, of course, Michael Brantley hits a single with two outs, and it's 5-1 anyway. So, you know, one could say I saw a lot of screenshots of the baseball savant data about how, like, these balls were not hit that hard, and they had, like, relatively low expected batting averages. And it's true. This is an inning where five singles happened, and none of them were hit particularly hard. Um, but at the same time, you have the defensive mess, which is obviously your own doing. You have the wild pitch, which is your own doing. And then you can't just expect that nothing's ever going to get through the infield. So there's a lot to get to, including the shift stuff. But, I mean, what do you take from this? Like, there's even a talk about, like, whose fault it was on the defensive mess because someone mentioned that, like, maybe Riley should have been the cutoff man and Daisby should have got the third. All, all this stuff. It's like <laughs> – one of the yeah. one of those innings in capital letters as what that you would describe this, but nothing went well for about twenty minutes. No, it was it was worst case scenario across the board. And something that the Astros do really well is, and we talked about this in the preview podcast a little bit, is they led baseball. They had the fewest strikeouts. They do put the ball in play more than your average team, um, and they just it was just kind of a perfect storm. And you know, on the shift, I, I'll say this. The shift is what it is. If teams were dumping literally millions of dollars into their front office and analytics department to get this information to shift as frequently as they do, and it wasn't working, they wouldn't continue to do it. And uh, you know, it's beating a dead horse. But whenever you hit into the shift, no one remembers it. But whenever you hit one against the shift, even if it really hurts, of course you're going to remember it all night long. And Look, I, I wish that Ozzy was standing at second base where two of those weekly hit balls were hit in the inning. Uh, it's it's a whole different ball game at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was then you you pile on a couple of weak singles on top of uh, the defensive miscue with Rosario. I don't know what happened there. It was it was so <laughs> frustrating. It was like one of those you try to put out of your mind a little bit. Um, yeah, just uh, again, one ball was hit harder than a hundred miles off the off the bat. Um, and again, it's funny just talking about last night and then tonight. The games were almost flipped entirely. Like the Braves took such an early commanding lead in Game One and then cruised. And tonight, the Astros took an early commanding lead and cruised. And there was not a ton of drama or high stress in either of these games. And Again, and you know, it was a frustrating way to to go out tonight with all the weak contact against Freed, um, but yeah, it's just hopefully an inning to get past and forget, and and hopefully they bounce back. Yeah, there was clearly some some bad luck to like the infield single that scored the the second run of the game was just unlucky in a lot of ways. There was definitely some un, there was definitely some unlucky stuff in this inning. Now there was some, some unlucky stuff as well. The shift conversation, you know, I think you put it very well there. I would again plug the Mike Petriello piece that we've talked about before on the podcast about how much the shift has helped the Atlanta Braves this season. It's like kind of 
foolproof the way that he laid it out and all the numbers and how good they've been defensively in that period of time. So I, I have no time for the like mm-hmm. get mad at the shift when it doesn't work thing. I, I get it. I, I understand the frustration truly. And a lot of the responses um, to me pointing that out were like, you know, try to point out that, you know, the playoffs are different and they're, they're, it's like, well, no, it's, I mean, they are, but it doesn't make, I mean, they, they would still not, they would do it if they like kind of what you said, they would only do it if it was supposed to, work in terms well of, and you know yeah and everyone's favorite um analyst alex rodriguez oh, Lord. uh said something about a week ago that oh, just you. made me and i think everyone laughed and his line was well good hitters find a way to beat the shift and in the playoffs good hitters figure out ways to beat the shift and it's like well yes alex you have cracked the code you want to hit the ball where the defensive player is not standing like well, if, if it was I, that honestly easy. a lot of the responses too were, were to me were that and I, i'm not trying to poke fun at anybody it's just yes approaches may be different in the playoffs i'm not going to tell you that's that's definitely not true yep. um but you know your point that you're getting in there now is like yeah that's what they're trying to do like the only one that i think that i thought anyone really had a problem with that I thought was maybe reasonable was the was the Guriel shift because I think yeah. even I think it was Mike Petriello pointed this out. Somebody did. Somebody smarter than I am pointed it out. That like he's kind of like one of the guys in baseball that you maybe don't want to shift because he's like a spray chart guy. Like he led mm-hmm. the league in batting average this year and like is definitely a bat control kind of guy who might actually be able to do what you're saying. Like how of many course. guys in baseball yeah. can actually do that? Uh, <laughs> it, the list is not very long. Right. Um, but Guriel right. might actually be an exception to that. I, I'm not telling you that he is, but. I thought that was at least a reasonable line of line of uh, inquiry, just to say, look, maybe yeah. don't maybe don't shift him. Um, but overall, like I think it's very easy to see if you read Mike's piece or look at any of the numbers, like how much the shift has helped the Braves. So they did not lose this game because of the shift. I I, I'm, I mean that I, I know that very very well in my mind. I mean I'm sure maybe somebody yeah. thinks that, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah. So. Have Have the Braves simply considered just standing wherever the baseball is going Where, to be hit? Has well, anyone <laughs> Has anyone brought that idea up yet? I, I don't know. It's I think they'd be really successful if they figured out exactly where the ball was going every single time. I think I said it in Slack, and I think Chris Willis, our fierce leader, tweeted out my my quote. It was something like, "We all." Uh, we should only shift when it works basically something like that was like i was yeah. making fun of I mean, exactly right and again, i know we're harping on this but like come on that obviously <laughs> it's mad listen okay yeah. to, to put to play devil's advocate on my own self playoff baseball will make you crazy and i'm not i do understand the frustration when you do know like where a second baseman has stood for most of your life and that guy's not there mm-hmm. and a yes. hit goes there so there is a raw like mental thing that can rattle you in that moment if you're a fan. And I totally get that. I just, I'm trying to take a step back and just point out like, look, it's helped the Braves this year pretty objectively. And, you know, they got unlucky in that inning. Max wasn't great. And I pointed this out, I think during the inning, you know, there's the whole make contact thing. And you pointed out the Astros don't really strike out. Max was not missing bats either. And yes, it's unlucky that all of those became singles. That's like objectively true. If you if you look at the, bat, the expected batting average for all five of those to become singles was very unlikely. Mm-hmm. But you know, three of them becoming singles is likely. You know what I mean? Like when you don't miss bats, and I think I think at that point I think he, uh, he had two swings and misses in the first, like I don't know something like twelve, fifteen batters, something like that. He just wasn't missing bats early on, mm-hmm. and that kind of opens the door for bad luck uh, going against you. So. At any rate, being down 5-1 at that point was probably one of the 
more unlikely scenarios. But I do think if you look at all, even just the batted ball data, you're supposed to probably be losing at that point. Maybe not, maybe not five one, but maybe it's three one or it's four one. And it was unlucky, but it also was self inflicted. And I, I would love to. I, I'm sure they even talked about. It. Maybe somebody asked him, and I just missed it because we're recording the podcast. I want to know what happened on that play at the third base. Like, just like I'm, a, yeah. I'm just curious as to whose fault that's supposed to be. Is it Rosario? Is it Riley? Is it Swanson? I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm not a person that knows that. I looked at it multiple times trying to figure it out, and I don't know, but it was bad. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was just a bad inning. I mean, truly, it was. It's one thing if if you go out there and they hit four home runs, and you're like, "Wow, that that's bad." It was just an accumulation and a comedy of errors almost at one point, and nothing was hit hard. It was just everything was away from a defensive player. Uh, and if if Max was able to get a strikeout or two, it's probably a different inning if one or two of those ground balls is at somebody instead of in a hole, it's a different inning, but that's baseball, man. Like it's going to happen. Hopefully at some point it balances out and the Braves have an inning where they just hit a bunch of weak grounders and nobody catches them. Uh, But tonight it was the difference. And uh, you just kind of, I don't know, tip your hat and move on, I guess. Yeah. And that's what we'll do now. So we we talked about second inning. We'll just, we'll bury Mm -hmm. that far, far, far under the ground. Um, before we get to the rest of the game and look ahead to game three and beyond, I work from our sponsors on the show today. All right, Scott, let us breeze through the rest of this thing because, uh, as we have alluded to, they never really got close after that. The third and fourth innings were as fast as playoff innings ever go. It was one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. <laughs> two straight innings. Um, the Braves only saw 19 total pitches against Urquidy, which was not ideal, you know, but I would say if you look at the way that he was throwing, he was throwing strikes. So you maybe there's like the trade-off of you don't want to just like let strikes go by. So I'm not like picking on them. It just didn't work. Uh, and then the fifth inning, the next run scored was actually on uh, a Travis Tarno singles, uh, gets a wild pitch advance, and then Freddie, Freddie drives him in. It's five to two, and it's, it's not over by any means because Max Free got ten guys in a row set down. And you're down by three. Like, you know, you're not supposed to win at that point in time. You're definitely an underdog. But it wasn't like all hope was lost in the fifth inning. Uh, they just had to, they had to actually, like, make a big set of plays and then just kind of never came. Yeah, it was encouraging tonight to see uh, Travis get a couple of hits and the home run. And um, as you said, it was weird. Throughout the entire night, the deficit felt bigger than it was. Like, for this entire Agreed. game. You know, it was three, four, I guess at one point, I mean, it got to five runs at one point, but it felt like the Braves were down by a dozen. And every inning I found myself saying, okay, get a hit and another hit and then see what happens. Um, they just, they just never could put together a couple of hits to string string together and cut this lead down, but it was encouraging to get to five, two and on a night uh, right after the bullpen had to cover seven innings following Charlie Morton's unfortunate departure. Uh, it was good for Max to be able to cover those middle innings, and they were clean innings. He didn't throw a ton of pitches either tonight, which is good. Hopefully that helps him out whenever he starts next, presumably game five or game six, depending on how they want to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for Freddie to drive in Darno with two outs and make it 5-2, it was still very much a game. Uh, it was keeping the hope alive. It just, unfortunately, it, you know, the, the offensive support never came. It did not. And part of the reason why it might have felt like they were down more than they were was even like the way they handled 
the pitching staff. And it, it didn't bite them in this game. I'm not even saying that it did, but you know, they tried to stay with Freed in the sixth. And I get it, because he he had looked great for about, you know, almost three innings at that point in time. You're trying to save the bullpen, and I get that. But he comes out in the six, gives up a walk to Alvarez. I thought he was gonna come out then because, you know, I had probably was in mentally like one base runner mode for Max for a while, and he just hadn't he didn't have he hadn't had a base runner in a long time. But he left him in for one more, a single by Correa, and then he comes out and they bring in Dylan Lee. And I'm not trying to pick on Dylan Lee, but I didn't expect Dylan Lee to be pitching in a game when the when the Braves were down, were down by were down by three runs in the sixth inning. Like it felt that feels like a like kind of a punt move in a World Series game with a day off the next day. I was a little bit confused by that. I will say Dylan Lee was good. Um, they, he gave up a run, but it was not his fault in any way, shape, or form. So he gets a force out when he comes in. Then they have a double play ball, at least a potential double play ball. Swanson flips to Albies, who seems to catch it and loses it on the transfer, and they called it safe on the field. Mm-hmm. It was upheld on replay. I think it should have been an out. Um, I will say in real time it looked it looked like more of an out than it was on the slow motion replay, which is kind of where it, replay always fools you. Regardless, though, that was a an instance where the defense let 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 him down in a big way. You know, Ozzy's always great defensively, and he just wasn't in that spot. And uh, eventually, you know, a run scores on that play, and Lee, but Lee objectively did his job. He did. He got yeah. two ground balls in a row, got a strikeout, and like. Yeah, you got to take that, but at the same time, your deficit grows from three to four. Yeah, you know, Dylan Lee has quietly been an impressive bullpen arm these last uh, couple games. He was more than efficient tonight. I mean, he should have had a a clean inning to get out of it. Um, Ozzy not only misplayed the uh, trying to to throw to first, but he also made kind of an errant throw to Dansby at second. I don't think they would have had a double play. Uh, but the throw was kind of up and away from from Dansby and prevented any chance of turning a double play on the batter before. Um, but Lee did his job. I mean, he was throwing strikes. He had an impressive outing. I think it was game five against the Dodgers. He, uh, I believe, covered two innings, gave up a home run to Chris Taylor, but that was the night Chris Taylor had like 15 hits or whatever it was. So uh, I don't think you can fault Dylan too much for that. Um, and obviously you have a couple of really good lefties in this bullpen, but if you are looking for positives to take away from this game, I think Lee has earned himself a chance to uh, maybe not come in the biggest moment of the game, uh, but he was surprisingly very effective and good. And, uh, and again, we just talked about how it was a closer game than it felt, even with the Astros getting the lead to six, two, it was still very much a game at that point. Yeah, it was. Uh, they just never never made anything happen from there. They, they bring in Chavez. It was weird. Chavez got one out and they did, and they took him out. And I was kind of confused by that. Um, yeah, a situation where you're down four, you don't usually bring in a guy that you like kind of trust to get one out in the sixth. But that's what happened. Um, they brought in Drew Smiley in the seventh, which is also a little bit weird to me. Uh, not that it was super weird, but yeah, you're only quote unquote down by four and. I kind of thought they might use Smiley, and they still could use him as a bolt guy in game four, game five. But he comes in there and throws, you know, one inning. I don't know what the plan was there. Um, but the first the first pitch, of course, is a Jose Altuve tomahawk home run. So it's not it's not like <laughs> Smiley was dialed in. But uh, I, I wrote that down just to make sure to keep myself honest. I wrote down before he came in, I, I don't know why he's pitching here, just because it didn't make – or my other thought was basically – Okay, maybe they just let Smiley pitch the rest of this game. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and they did the other thing. They had a pitch and inning, and it was like, okay, that was a little bit strange. I don't, I don't really care that much. It was just a bit odd. Yeah, with the power that's in this Houston lineup, they need to be very selective with how they utilize Drew Smiley in this series. And he did pitch well against the Dodgers in, I think, game four of the NLCS, and, and that certainly resonates. But, yeah, it was just kind of an odd bullpen night. And it is a positive that, um, again, you, you don't always want to lose this way, but on if you can lose and not have to go through – Matt Sick and Luke Jackson and, and they, they, use, they use nobody. The four right. guys they trust that we all that we all we all, we all, all kind of laughed about that they only trust four guys. They didn't pitch, and game. that's probably not insignificant. Knowing that while they do have a day off tomorrow, they have three games in a row, like guaranteed Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you hope that if the Braves are winning or within a couple runs, obviously you're going to utilize those guys, especially as we get deeper in the series, right? Like they have. They have five months to rest after this, um, but it, it's not insignificant, right? It, you don't always want to use the excuse of, well, if you're going to lose a game, you'd rather lose by five runs than one run. Uh, but it is a, it is a positive. We're, we're looking for takeaways here that are, that are good. Right? <laughs> we <laughs> are searching high yeah, and even low. Even if there weren't a ton of them, but the eighth inning uh, was uh, very encouraging from uh, young Kyle Wright, who I continue to believe in. That was a pro tease right there, Scott. Congratulations. I, I've learned from you. Uh, no, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> of all the things that happened in the entire game, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but it's possible that was one of the more encouraging ones was Kyle Wright, uh, who struck off the side in the eighth. Um, Kyle Wright has tantalized everyone. I think we've all had a dance or two with Kyle Wright optimism, uh, maybe three, maybe four, maybe five times. I'm not sure, maybe more than that. Um, you know, a former top pick, all that stuff. He looked the part of the guy that he has uh, always potentially been and never really been. Um, it's one inning, but he was fairly dominant in that inning, and I wonder if that earns him a little bit of a, of a tab when it comes to game four, game five. And he's already on the roster, and they, of course they, they brought in Tucker Davidson today in place of Charlie Morton, but a lot of the questions we got last night and Eric and I tried to answer while also just admitting that we didn't, we didn't really know the background is like who is ready to go, who is stretched out. Um, but regardless, you know, right through great, it's one inning, and but it was one fun inning, like in the middle of this wasteland. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's funny, Kyle Wright, Tukey Toussaint, there's a reason that pitching prospects can be so frustrating, but also they can tease you as much as they do because we have seen Kyle Wright look really effective at times, and then we have also seen nights where it's like, oh, my God, like this, this kid is just not it. Like yep. you got to get him back to Gwinnett. Um, hey, if it gets Kyle some confidence and who knows what games four and five, I mean, they're effectively going to throw or need to cover 18 plus innings of bullpen game uh, following Ian Anderson's start on Friday afternoon or Friday night. Um, I guarantee you, well, I guess I can't guarantee you, but I, I think after tonight, I can strongly promise you that uh, that Kyle Wright's probably going to get in one of those games Again, it was one inning, but he looked really good. He struck out the side, and hey, if it gets Kyle some some confidence on the mound, if he could cover a couple innings in games four or five, it would be huge. Yep, and uh, we'll we'll leave it there on that. But you know, not having to use anybody, getting through that with with right in the eighth, having it look good. Uh, you know, small takeaway, small positives, but they were positives nonetheless. Uh, before we look ahead, a couple of just like housekeeping items of this game. 
only Travis Arnaud reached base multiple times for the Braves in this game, so it's not like it was an offensive um, explosion. And the outfield, the starting outfield in this game, was 0 for 4, 0 for 4, 0 for 4. 0 for 12, no walks. Uh, that's tough. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, it's one-game sample size, but, you know, that, that's what happened. Um, as we talked about, they didn't use any of the four leaders that they trust. And that's kind of, like, it for the game. You know, we can talk about Max Freed and, like, frustrations, but, you know, at the same time, you're still hoping Max Freed is making a start in in game six and is your guy. I mean, he is for as, as, as not inspiring as he has been in the last two starts, he is still your best available pitcher with Charlie Morton out for the season. So you have to yeah. just be uh, what it is there. Anything else you want to say about this game before we look at Tucker Davidson and the rest of the series? Hmm. Forget about it and move on. I mean, again, I know we talked about it on the uh, at the top, but you split in Houston. Game one, a lot of fun. Game two is not. Game two was about as frustrating as it can be. Uh, you move on. You hopefully get back home to Atlanta and and get some rest and, and recharge your batteries. And now you have three just enormous games coming up. Um, and I think you know, it, it was it was natural to be frustrated and disappointed tonight. Everyone, I mean, the idea of going up 2-0 on the road in the World Series is huge. And while we certainly would have liked that to happen tonight, I think it's important to remember that they split the series. And while it was frustrating to lose tonight, if they would have lost game one and then won game two, uh, while in the old momentum, it might feel a little bit better. Um, as we've seen, this team is is never shy and they're going to bounce right back. They've been beat down before and they've come back in a strong way. Uh, hopefully they just move on. And, and Houston's a very good team. We saw that tonight. They have a deep lineup. Their bullpen is good. Um, they're not going to lay down. They've been here before. And, and now the Braves have to swing back and hopefully get a, back ahead in the series. Yes, uh, we are on the same page with all of that. Uh, we alluded to it earlier, but they did choose Tucker Davidson to replace Morton on the roster. Uh, a slight surprise, but he's pretty intriguing. And we did discuss him last night with, with Eric on the show. And the big question we had with a lot of the guys that they had that were theoretically options were, basically, are they healthy and are they still pitching? Are they stretched out? Because the Braves have been very secretive with their taxi squad. Um, but Davidson did some media actually today before the game and kind of answered that. He said he's been working at Gwinnett for, uh, since the season ended. He had, he actually had a rehab start in Gwinnett on October 3rd after he went on the IL in, in mid June with a forearm strain. Um, but they called him last night, basically the front office did and said, go to Houston. Uh, so he traveled today and was the guy there. He also said that he stretched out to 75 or 80 pitches was the way that he said, obviously I don't think he's going to throw, I, I, I would guess he doesn't throw it much. But the fact that he could is potentially useful. Uh, but, you know, we talked about Tukey. We talked about Sean Newcomb. We talked about Spencer Strider. Like, all, all the guys you might expect as, like, potential options. You know, Kyle Muller. But if Davidson is healthy and you have to presume that he is and stretched out, like, he is, he would have been near the top of my list of guys to add. Yeah. So, I, I'm cool with this. No, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, we have seen, as we just talked about, we've seen – Tukey be effective at the big league level, but we've also seen him where he can't even throw a strike. And similar to Kyle Muller, I thought he was a dark horse option as well. Um, but again, if, if you're not going to throw strikes, that's really a problem. I mean, in general, it's a problem, but in the playoffs, it is especially a problem. Um, and Hey, good on Tucker Davidson, man. It was easy to forget, but he was really effective in his handful of starts back in June. Granted, it has been a while since he's pitched at a high level, 
because of that forearm strain, but the fact that he's ready to go. And as we just said, the Braves have to cover 18 bullpen innings in games four and five. I think Tucker Davidson's going to get a shot and it's certainly a, uh, a little bit of a scary proposition for a guy who has all of like 18 big league innings under his belt at this point, but Hey, what better time to step up if he can step up or Kyle Wright can step up uh, all that depth. The Braves have, we've always talked about it playing, <laughs> uh, you know, playing a part at some point. And Hey, if, if that's in the world series, um, what a stage for them to, to have to try and step up when their team is going to need them. Um, I'm sure uh, if Tucker gets into his game, into a game, his heart's going to be racing a million miles a minute, but Hey, hopefully he can come in and make an impact and, and help cover some innings. Yeah, they have to get 54 outs in game four and game five without a starting pitcher, essentially, that they trust. So hmm. that's uh, think about it that way. You have- it was funny today uh, when people were talking about options before Davidson was announced. Uh, Bryce Wilson would probably be a, uh, a candidate after his heroics last year in the NLCS. And of course, they just traded Bryce. Um, but it was funny. A few people kind of pointed that out um anyway I oh yeah i mean the, the list was very long we talked about like you know they, they could they could have even just added another another like straight reliever like could have gone back to jacob webb or something uh and they didn't do that so we'll see we, we talked about it last time as well but you have davidson you have Wright, you have smiley as guys who can throw multiple innings and also aj mentor uh because he didn't pitch today um if they get if they can get away from mentor in game three maybe he can throw four innings in game four. I don't really know. I mean, we, we've seen him start, quote-unquote, in a playoff game and throw like three and two-thirds, whatever it was. But um, he's a gamer, and maybe that's an option too. So we'll see what happens. But we'll, we'll talk about that again. Hopefully hopefully Ian Anderson throws uh, six innings on uh, on Saturday. Oh, sorry, on Friday night, and we cannot have to worry yeah, about yeah. the bullpen. Um, <laughs> that would not, be big. If not, then uh, treacherous uh, stuff could be happening. I guess we should talk about game three real quickly because it is Ian Anderson against Luis Garcia – of the Astros at game three. Um, Ian is, you know, top number one for sure. And that if he doesn't have it on the first of three straight days, it can be pretty dicey in a lot of ways. So it's pretty pressure packed. Obviously it would be anyway in a world series game, but given the way the schedule breaks down and what, and what is not behind him, uh, he needs to be good. And that's, yeah. it's, it's a tall order for him against this great lineup in Houston, but uh, I can't say it any more plainly. Like there's a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, it is. I mean, no duh, biggest start of his life, and the Braves need him to be good. And we've talked about Ian. He's had some good moments and some not-so-good moments in the postseason. Uh, this is a very patient and balanced Astros lineup. And as we know, when Ian has his changeup working, he is as good as anyone. Uh, but if he has a night where he's not able to, to throw it consistently, he's going to need his secondary pitches as well. Uh, so hopefully he comes out strong. I'm sure he's going to be amped up. I know if uh, if the secondary ticket market is any indication, Truist Park is going to be a freaking zoo this weekend. Um, and you have to be able to harness that. I think as a young guy, he, of course, was so good in the playoffs last year, but was pitching in empty stadiums or mostly empty stadiums. Um, it, it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. And Luis Garcia was, was probably Houston's second best pitcher this year. Um, he is a young guy like Anderson. He's only 24 years old. Just like Ian, it's going to be his biggest start of his career as well. Um, and, and you know, you don't need to be a baseball fan of a long time to realize the importance of winning game three after you split the first two games. Yeah, I mean, Garcia, it's a small sample size, but a career ERA in the low threes 
in about 170 innings in the majors. You know, 24 year old guy, but uh, he's been good, as you said. Playoffs, not not so much, but he's better in his last start. So, um, you know, we don't. I don't really know what to make of him. I think our key was not that not that impressive to me today. Um, but this is kind of what they what the Astros have is a bunch of like mildly intriguing arms that are like kind of unproven, and that's what Garcia is. Um, the other decision I guess they have to make for game three, and actually you pointed this out to me and I was not thinking about this top of mind, is they have to choose who to play in the outfield um, because they can't DH. The DH is now off the table. I guess it might benefit the, the Braves more because Houston's got to play Jordan Alvarez in the outfield and he's been a DH and he's not a good fielder, but they also have to choose who to sit. Um, I think Rosario is going to play. I feel pretty safe about that given how, how hot he's been. Um, but do you have a preference on who sits between mm. – I mean, I guess it's probably just Jock versus Solaire because they want to play Duvall in center field. I don't know. I would – boy, I think Jock will probably sit. Uh, not that Jock has been bad this postseason, but um, ever since that big home run off Max Scherzer, he has not been great. Um, maybe they will – you know, Garcia is a right-handed pitcher, um, so maybe they would prefer Jock's left-handed bat in there, especially in the middle or bottom half of the order to help balance it out a little bit. But they also seem to like Jorge Soler, and he's he's hit the ball as well as anybody uh, since he came off the COVID list. So I'm not sure if I had to bet or guess, I would say it's going to be Jock off the bench. But um, as we know, he is somebody who can make an impact, whether he's in the starting lineup or coming off the bench. Um, I think you have to probably have Duvall in center field uh, just with his defense and from uh, familiarity and truest. And then, yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not sitting Eddie Rosario for anything at this point. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's probably what'll happen, but I guess we'll see how the next day and a half play out. Yeah. Garcia, all this stuff is small sample size. Cause he's not just pitched that many innings, but he does have a pretty um, decent size platoon split. Um, he's much better against righties, which is what you'd expect, but uh, lefties have kind of gotten him a little bit this year. They have a, a 348 Woba against Garcia, a 474 slugging by left-handers against Garcia this year. So maybe that might pl- that might yeah. play into it. Uh, <laughs> maybe perhaps, they will go with Jock. Yeah, perhaps they go. I'm just looking at this in real time because I, I did not know this ahead of time. So um, we're all learning here on the podcast. But uh, I don't know because, like you said, I think Dob even had it earlier. I, don't, I forgot that I lost that tweet. But I, I think Jock's numbers have been pretty hideous since that home run you referenced in the Dodgers series. Um, and honestly – his best work in that in the playoffs so far has come as a pinch hitter. Um, I don't really care about that necessarily, but since he started playing every day, it's not been very good. Um, and Solaire missed all that time, but has looked fine since he came back. Jock is the better defender probably by a little. Like they're not neither of them are great, but yeah. they don't seem to like Solaire in, in the outfield all that much. So maybe that's a tiebreaker as well. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but keep that in mind that they have to make that choice for the first time in two games. Um, and I think that was pretty clear what they were going to do in the last round because Soler wasn't around. But now that he is back, it's the first decision that he has to make because otherwise it's just been auto, autopilot on the uh, lineup card, basically. Um, I'm looking at this again. Uh, our favorite friends at, at 538 are back to 50-50, which is hilarious after two games. Uh, they're 50-50 before the series started, and they're back uh, for the series. Fangraphs gives the Braves a 45.9% chance to win this series. So Houston's now favored there. I'm looking at the betting market right now and a couple places that had the lineup. Houston is now favored again. The Braves were favored to win the series before today, as they should have been after they won game one. But now it's swung back, and it's Houston as a slight favorite. Uh, Scott, would you change anything 
about your prediction now that mm. we've seen this series go through two games? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, obviously the big change is the Braves won't have Charlie Morton in game five, but they did win his first start, which I think changes it dramatically. If they, I know I didn't do the podcast last night, but if they would have lost last night and lost Charlie Morton, uh, you know, I, I think just the math doesn't work out very well at that point. Um, I said Braves in six to start. I guess I might hedge that and move it to Braves in seven at this point. If you're just talking about, I don't know, likelihood or probabilities, but I think these are two evenly matched teams. Again, game one and game two were very similar games, just opposite for each team. Um, And I think now I think truest is definitely an advantage for the Braves. We've seen how well they have played at home. They're five and O at home this postseason. Um, and, and now you have a chance to hopefully flip the series. And if you can win two out of three, uh, great. I mean, obviously, if you can win three in a row, that would be uh, pretty good. Um, but at the very least, if you can win two out of three and protect home field, um, you're, you're in good shape. And then you have to go and win one out of two in Houston. I think this is a series that truly, if, you, if these teams played 100 times, I think it would be pretty close to 50-50. Um, and as we've seen, it can just take one inning, one at bat, one pitch, and it could end up being the difference in the game and in the series. And we just have to hope those go the Braves way. I do think that there'll be a close game at some point in the series. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. A little, little stress, a little drama. There's no, rule, there's no rule that there has to be a close game, but I think there probably will be at least one. It um, is kind of weird because for the most part, other than – uh game five in los angeles every playoff game has been high stress with the exception of these two world series games i mean there's always stress in the world series but braves had a commanding lead um top of my head i don't think the tying run has come to the plate for either team beyond like the fourth inning in either game yeah Um, as you said i'm sure that's going to change at some point but as far as world series games go these have not been like you're just emotionally exhausted after four and a half hours i mean i'm i'm physically exhausted uh mentally exhausted but i, you, I, I i'm joking <laughs> I, th- I think you're i think you're right though like yeah i think eric and i talked about it, I, I think it was on the podcast last night about how you know of course it's stressful it's a world series game you're still living and dying on every pitch but it hasn't quite been the same level as like some of those dodgers games at the end where because it was actually close and you're in a tie game late or in a one-run game late and um yeah, I'm not just saying I'm looking forward to that. Maybe I am. I don't know. We'll see how that. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> be careful. Yeah, be careful what we wish for. Wouldn't it be nice for the uh, Atlanta Braves to win a World Series and it be fairly low stress? Wouldn't that, that would be, be after, that would be okay I would after the upset. nightly agony of that NLCS against the Dodgers? Like every game took five years off our lives. Yeah, um, I would not be upset by that. Um, yeah, I think everybody knows this, but the schedule is uh, day off on Thursday for travel. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, back to back to back, all evening games, same time, uh, same channel. Everything is still the same for all of these games in the World Series. So we'll have all the con- we'll have all kinds of podcast content. I believe uh, friend of the pod and co-host of ours, Sean Coleman, will have a Daily Hammer episode tomorrow morning, um, which will drop, I think, on Saturday morning, heading into uh, sorry, sorry, Saturday morning into Friday morning, heading into that uh, final commute and that full day of preparation. A long, long wait now between games. Two, two days between games is going to seem like an eternity, but we'll still be here with all the podcast content you could possibly want. Uh, Scott, if you have anything to plug, I know you wrote the recap tonight. I'm sure it was a fun one for you. <laughs> my The first World Series recap of my life, and they lost. 
Womp womp. Maybe I'll get another chance. I do want to thank Chris for letting me do that one tonight. Uh, yeah. Hey, man. Game one, awesome. Game two, not so awesome. Uh, we will continue to be here, and here's hoping at Truist. There's been some just magical moments in the playoffs so far with Freddie's uh, almost basically walk-off against Josh Hader. And, of course, uh, we talked about Chuck Peterson and Eddie Rosario and some of their heroics in, against uh, the Dodgers and the NLCS. Here's hoping the next three games are wild and crazy. I know everyone who's been able to get tickets is going to bring it. Uh, and hopefully it, you know, it's a, it's a fun weekend in Atlanta. I'm sure it's going to be a rocking atmosphere. Are you going to be able to get to a game, Brad, or is that, have the tickets been uh, tough to come by? Let's just, let's just say, uh, I would encourage people that they have not looked at this to just Google or StubHub the tickets and then, uh, know that i i cannot afford to go to uh, I, uh i saw people I, I know ticket i mean Ticketmaster sucks in general but um they did some yeah. pre-sales and you know the bots the bots took over and uh i know season ticket holders were able to get at least a couple generally um but yeah i mean short of having lots of money or a benefactor of some sort uh, i had no chance of being able to go which is okay <laughs> yeah. uh for, for podcast purposes it's probably better if i don't go because that that way i'm not sitting in traffic right now instead of recording the podcast true um but yeah as we as we speak uh okay scott don't look uh i'm wh what do you think the lowest current ticket price is for game three oh, on, on on stub on StubHub right now for Friday? Oh. Friday night, first World Series game in Atlanta in what 22 years? Oh boy, the cheapest ticket I'm gonna say 900 bucks, uh, 1100 dollars. Oh, boy. uh, game four, the current cheapest ticket for Saturday is 12.99. Oh, <laughs> so you get a discount on Friday night, is what you're saying? Uh, and then Sunday, game five, uh, which is now definitely necessary, um, is twelve hundred. So Good there's no way, and that's that's what that's that's, uh, that's pre fees, and you know these, right. these these things cost the the fees are probably another hundred plus. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you pay two hundred dollars to print off your own ticket. I've I'm literally looking now. To, I'm, I'm going to go all the way to the check. This is <laughs> this is riveting audio. I'm, I'm going to go all the way to the checkout and see what the actual cost be, is. Of be careful saying. you don't hit Apple Pay by mistake, and all of a sudden uh, you're going good. to Game Four. Listen, that'd be, uh, that'd be fun. <laughs> okay, so as I said, the Saturday game uh, is twelve ninety nine. The cheapest ticket. Uh, out the door on StubHub, sixteen hundred and seventy eight dollars oh. for one one american ticket on and i don't think night. you're you're probably not sitting in the the whatever you call it the truest no that is uh, that plate. is a that's that's one ticket by itself uh in the middle of, in the middle of a row in the corner top oh deck. good god so i'm not going unless someone listen if a podcast listener wants to be like hey donate some tickets to <laughs> me and eric i think we'll go but other than that uh yeah so yeah. It, or if a, a listener out there has a has a private jet I would happily hop on your private jet to go to Atlanta for a game if, if <laughs> yeah, you uh, exactly. if you want to let that happen. It's it's only like a five hour flight for no, me. It's not I, that bad. I think now that I spoiled it, um, podcast listeners might know that it's it's better for the podcast if I don't go, and then maybe they, they won't give me tickets anymore. If they were going to give me tickets, but no, I'm yeah. uh, I'm mostly <laughs> kidding. We'll be here. Yeah. I I'm planning to be here with Scott, Eric, and or both of them for all of these games. Uh, we'll figure out the schedule behind the uh, behind the wall, but we'll be here. For podcast content, if I do have a stumble into a ticket, I will just record an hour later, which <laughs> will be fine. Uh, thank you, Scott, for joining me. I'm delirious at this point, but I appreciate you uh, hopping on. And as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. We've got, we honestly had a massive 
month, and I will certainly at some point do a full-blown thank you for that. We are shattering every record on the podcast this month, and not, that's not a huge surprise given the World Series um, looming factor here, but it's been anything more, I would say it's been more than I could possibly imagine the podcast um, support uh, happening. So thank you to everyone for listening and clicking around and downloading and looking at old episodes and all of the cheating ways that we've asked you to do. Please continue to do that. I'm not above it. But um, thank you for all the support, sincerely. I yeah. know Scott, Scott Eric feels the Yeah, way. no. Thank you, everyone. We really do appreciate the support. It's been a crazy month. And as we said, th- these are so much fun to do, especially when you're in the World Series. Trust us, we, we like doing these podcasts, even on nights when they don't win. Uh, these are a whole lot better than the middle of 2016 season where they're 40 games below 500. I can promise you that. I think there's probably been like one or two podcasts that I've ever not wanted to do. It was like the one they gave up a hundred runs in the first inning that night in the oh yeah the i did that one with you yeah that, that was that, <laughs> that was not was a lot miserable. of fun we, we did not have fun on that one and uh, then uh, i think last year when they when they blew the 3-1 lead that was not a lot game seven was not a lot of fun but other than that i think we, we usually have fun okay so thank you scott uh again one more time please subscribe to the show and you'll probably be checking out sean coleman's daily hammer on friday morning and then we'll be back with some combination of us after game three so we'll see you then 